Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Economics of Everything podcast with Alex Vieira. Here at the Econ of Everything, we believe that economics in its purest form is the study of how people make decisions. Thus, our goal is to make our audience informed decision makers in all parts of their life. Today, we are going to be taking a look at the movie industry. I'm excited to get us into this one as the movie industry has been seeing some different changes over the last couple of years with COVID really pushing a lot of people to spend a lot more time just watching shows. And we're going to talk a little bit about how the movie industry has been historically, and then we'll touch a little bit about how we'll see it moving in the future. So let's start it off. Of course, we're going to be using our structure conduct performance to analyze the movie industry as well. If you want to break down on how structure conduct performance works, take a look at some of my other podcasts. I have a overview of that as well. So let's start off with the movie industry. The movie industry has three main parts to its production. There is production, which is financing, developing, and filming the actual picture. There is distribution, which is licensing, distribution, promotions of the movie, and exhibition. The screening of the movies at the movie theaters, your TV, your Netflix, your Amazon Primes, your Disney Pluses, and any other ones that are currently out now that weren't out when I made this podcast. Now... Normally, when I look at an industry, I'll just look at a specific part of this. But the reason I am looking at all three of these here is because the movie industry has a high level of vertical integration. Now, before we go into how that looks, I'm going to tell you some of the concentration ratios for these three industries, the production, distribution, exhibition, and you'll start to see why vertical integration is so crucial for these companies to be able to compete on a mass scale. So if we're looking at the concentration ratio, which is how much market share the top four companies in that industry currently owns, in 2020, the CR4, or concentration ratio for the top four companies, of production was 45%. The CR4 for distribution was 35%. And the CR4 for exhibition was 50%. So if we compare that to what we saw for the Walmart industry, where the CR4 for the retail industry was closer to the 20% mark, you can see that this industry is a lot more concentrated. And this is just the top four. I imagine if we look at the top eight or the top 20, we really start seeing that concentration ratio bump up to the 60, 70, almost 80%. Now, when you have a small number of sellers who have a large control of a market, what you tend to see is that they tend to start working together, not consciously or legally all of the time, but they start helping each other set prices, and it becomes very difficult for a new entrant to make any real moves in that economy. So how has the movie industry dealt with these high level of concentration in that industry? So Looking at this, just so going by the concentration ratios, we're looking at a near oligopoly. It's still a little low. If I was being honest, perfectly honest, I'd want to see a concentration ratio closer to the 75 to 80% for me to be able to be a lot more confident that it's an oligopoly. 
but it's it's pretty high up there with 50% concentration ratios for the top four companies. And so what you see is they, there is a lot of vertical integration happening in this industry. Starting back in 1945, 24% of theaters were owned by vertically integrated companies. And with the top five distributors, such as Paramount, 20th Century, Warner Bros, and Lowe's, they owned 70% of all first-run theaters in the 92 largest markets, and 60% in cities within 25 to 1,000 to 100,000 people. So as you can see, there's a lot of vertical integration, and just looking at the movie theaters, the top five companies back in 1945 owned almost 70% of every single movie theater in every single major city. Now, why did they do this? They did this to really help uh, bring down their back-end costs and really make sure that they can secure a outlet for them to be able to show their movies. Remember, back in 1945, there wasn't these Amazons and Netflix for us to just mainline a lot of these movies over to the consumers. And so they really needed to make sure that they had access to the theaters to be able to show their films. We still see a lot of this now with producers, the people who make the movies, integrating with distributors, the people who send the movies out, looking for greater control over the licensing, control over promotions of their films, and influence over theater placements. They want their best movies to come out on the best days with the best marketing and the, the best licensing deals. And the only way you can do that is if you are the person who makes it and the person who sells it. After you've got all of the, the hype coming in for your movie and everybody's really interested in your movie, then the producer started going into their exhibitionist. So those are your theaters, those are your Netflixes, those are your Amazon Primes, your Hulus, your Disney Pluses, your Peacocks, your new, insert new distributor here. And the big reason that they did this is because the producers, the people who were making the movie, they were fearing backwards integration from the exhibitors, locking out their prime outlets. So you're already starting to see that with Netflix, they're creating a lot of their own Netflix originals. And that is really drowning out a lot of Disney's movies or Fox's movies. And so as you start to see some of these exhibitionists start to vertically integrate backwards and start making their own films and keep their own pipelines full, it becomes a little competition between the producer and the people who help you watch the shows. And so to protect themselves from that, the producer wants to own the exhibitionist. They want to own the Netflix. They want to own the Disney Plus. And that's why you see Disney creating a Disney Plus in the first place. It also helps them secure the network for outlets. Now, let's say hypothetically, Disney had no access to a Disney Plus. They had nothing like that similar. They would really be to the whims of Netflix's will whether or not they were going to be able to show their movies or whether their movies would get any attention in the first place. They have no control over how their movies are displayed, what categories they're put into, et cetera, et cetera. And so to ensure that everything that they create has some kind of mainline to their consumer, they created their own 
outlet for direct-to-consumer sales through Disney+. Plus. It also makes it a lot easier to finance their movies because when you're looking to do financing, it's a lot easier to sell to a uh, money partner, to a venture capitalist, to an investor saying, look, we already have 50, 100 billion, thousand, trillion people on this network right here and we have a conversion rate of 50%. So let's say we have 100,000 people on Netflix and 50% consistently watch everything we put in front of them because they don't leave their couch for some reason. Then you know for sure at least 50,000 people are going to watch this movie. Maybe it's a hit and all all 100 people, 100,000 people on the server watch the movie and maybe it flops and you still get 50,000 people to watch the movie. So that really gives you a solid baseline of an expected revenue from a movie's perspective if you already have a solid line of reliable customers who consistently are repeat and come back to watch really anything you put in front of them. And finally, it allows them to decrease their monitoring costs to make sure that no one's cheating them out of their royalties. And so back when a lot of this stuff wasn't very digital or very easy to track, it was very difficult for a Disney to make sure that they were getting fair retributions for every single movie that they put out into the world. That's why if you remember on the VCR movies, right in the beginning, they said, please, 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 with big cherries on top, do not copy this movie and send it out to everybody in your neighborhood because that's really the most that they could do. They could see that they didn't, they couldn't track who downloaded it. They couldn't track whose computer it went from because it was very hardware based. And so they really just had to have that disclaimer on the front of the movie and be like, hey man, I, you guys know this is illegal. I know that you're copying this movie. Please don't copy this movie because if you do it too much, I'm going to call the cops. And it's going to be a real pain for me to prove that you're doing it, but it's also going to be a real pain for you to prove that you're not doing it. So it's best case scenario if nobody copies this movie. Now, as we see, uh, we're in a lot more of a technologically advanced world. We can see who downloads. We can see where the money's going. But we still have a very similar issue with multiple logins for your Netflix account. I mean, how many of you guys are watching Netflix currently? And how many of you are actually paying for your Netflix account? These are good questions. And so in that aspect, we do see some issues with tracking if, if the royalties are being paid out accurately. And I feel like there will be some innovation in the future that will help weed out some of you sneaky payers out there. But that might be a little more into the future. And um, as long as Netflix tells Disney that you watch the movie in the first place. I don't really think Disney cares if you're using their account or not. Now, that comes in to what the movie industry is. It's a lot of vertical integration moving up and down the pipeline of creating a movie. Ideally, you want to be able to control all the way from who's the actor's to what toys, the, what are the toys gonna look like? Where are they gonna be published? Is there gonna be a theme park? Is it gonna go on TV? Whose TV is it gonna go on? All of these things, you wanna be able to control the 
industry as good as possible because just looking at it while the movie industry may be relatively concentrated there is a lot of alternatives to entertainment just on a daily hour basis if you have 24 hours in your day and a movie takes up two hours of your day what other actions could you do with those two hours could you spend those times with your kids could you read a book could you go to school could you go to work could you go to sleep and so while there are a concentration relatively high number of concentration the movie industry is in competition with other things that take up your time because time by itself is a scarce resource and no one's ever going to buy more time and no one's ever going to get more time back and so how you use your time is incredibly important and whether or not you're going to spend your time your next 24 hours binging all of the star wars films just because there's going to be a new one coming out which i did do with my friends fyi then that's something that you're going to spend you're going to allocate you're going to decide if that's worth it and if the movies aren't quality then you're going to decide not to do that you're going to decide to do something else practice a hobby and so while the movie industry by itself is in oligopoly perfectly monopolistic competition somewhere in between those two there is competition in the general sense of how do you spend your time finally looking at the performance of the movie industry having gone over the structure and the conduct how the movie industry interacts with different industries how the companies interact with other companies in the industry we finally see if the industry is being effective looking at the movie industry i do see strong innovations coming in with the new streaming platforms giving a lot of resources and a lot of consumer welfare to us the daily consumers we don't know we no longer have to go to your local blockbusters anymore to go and get the best movie that's coming out we don't have to wait in a long line to go to the movies we are a lot more flexible with how we spend our time watching these tv shows uh it's brought down some would argue that our 80 dollar a month tv network tv bill has been shrunk to ten dollars if you just have netflix and it gives you a plethora of movies to choose from there's no ads which is arguably a very very good thing for the consumer now as you start seeing a lot of these categories and a lot of these movie producers create their own movie streaming platforms we may see the average cost you spend on your viewing entertainment come back up to your 60 or 100 dollars a month average which was what network tv was previously as that does seem to be where the market average was for what a consumer the average consumer would be willing to pay for tv and so as we see more different types of streaming platforms come available we may see our monthly bills for tv streaming come up as more as you start to log into more streaming platforms now how will we see the dis- the movie theaters play out well now the movie theaters have a lot more competition with the streaming platforms and we're seeing movies go straight to streaming platforms and not even hit the theaters 
So we may see a lot of these theaters dwindle. But honestly, now that I know that Disney or Fox or IMX or a lot of these Disney, uh, movie industries or Warner Bros owns the majority of these theaters anyways, I don't feel too bad about the movie theaters not doing as well. I know that's probably not the best thing to say. But, uh, you know, look out for the little guys. I feel bad for the small mom and pop theaters who have been struggling since day one, since they haven't had the vertical integration to be efficiently competitive in this industry since the beginning. That being said, thank you all for joining us on another episode of the Economics of Everything podcast with yours truly, Alex Vieira. And I look forward to filling the world with more informed decision makers like you. And if you could leave this podcast with a five stars on Spotify, on Instagram, on um, Apple Music, on all the different platforms, it would be very appreciative. And the economics of everything, our interest is in your future value.